Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I am Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Sifting of Satan. The Sifting of Satan, brothers and sisters. Today we will utilize the Bible. We will scour the scriptures, brothers and sisters, to learn the tactics of the enemy, brothers and sisters. Satan has a certain pattern, um, a way in which he looks to become intrusive, brothers and sisters. There's only a few angles that he uses, brothers and sisters, and he's been he's been using these angles since the first book of the Bible, brothers and sisters. The first book of the Bible is actually Job, brothers and sisters. Okay, that's actually the oldest record. Uh, it was written before <laughs> Genesis, brothers and sisters. Even though Genesis has the history, actually, if you know anything about the Bible, brothers and sisters, they believe that it's believed that Job is the oldest record. And guess what? We're going to go there today. We're going to learn about the enemy today from the book of Job. Let's go there. We're going to Job, the first chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 6th through the 10th verse. The sifting of Satan, brothers and sisters. Job 1 and 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. The sons of God. These are angels, brothers and sisters. Okay, The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. How do we know? That these are angels because men don't present themselves before the Lord. It tells you Satan came along with them, right? Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? The first heavenly scene begins with the highest provocative question to Satan in verse 8. What was that question, brother? Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? He hates evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, and said that Job feared God for not. Brothers and sisters, trading question for question, Satan asks, is it for not that Job fears God? Does he fear God for nothing? Verse 10, has not thou made an hedge about him? Look at this. In Satan's view, God had all but bribed Job into being a faithful man. Listen to what he says here. Verse 10, has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side that thou <clears throat> that has blessed the work of his hands? The work of his what, brother? The work of his hands. And? And his substance is increased in the land. Look at this, brothers and sisters. According to Satan, Job's loyalty is based only on what God has given him. Read that again, brother. Verse 9 and 10, please. Job 1 and 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? Hast not, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Has not thou made a hedge about him? Has thou not made a hedge around him, his person? And about his house. And his house. So now he's telling you there's a hedge around him. Then there's a hedge around his house. That means his, his family, his relationships, right? And about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. The work of his hands. That's what? His materials, his, his finances, brothers and sisters, okay? His, his material possessions, brothers and sisters, right? And his substance is increased in the land. So the Bible is telling you, Satan tells on himself here. He's telling us that the Most High has a separate hedge around his person. There's a separate hedge around his relationships. And there's a separate hedge around his finances, his possessions, brothers and sisters. And Satan understood that they were all, all three of these areas were protected. Why? Because he already looked to, 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 to get in, to become intrusive there, brothers and sisters. You see that? See, so there's three different gates. There's three different angles that he comes. He comes to attack your person, right? Through your health and what you have going on personally. He comes to attack you through relationships, right? Through relationships, through family, through friends. Or he comes against your possessions, right? Maybe you lose your job, right? Maybe, you, you know, you, you need, you're out of money or, or whatever the case is. These are the areas, these, these are the only three areas in which he will come, brothers and sisters. This is the first book of the Bible that we're reading this in. Let's read it again, brother. Verse 9 and 10. Job 1 and 9. Why are we reading it again? Because it's clear that Satan is suspicious of Job's piety because of his potential self-interest or, or selfishness. Brothers and sisters, so when we, we here we read the question, it concerns whether uh, whether or not Job's fear is actually authentic. Listen to it, brothers and sisters. Satan answered the Lord and said, "Does Job fear God for not?" See, he's asking, "Is Job's fear unconditional?" Has not thou made a hedge about him? You put a hedge around him, his person. And about his house. You put a hedge around his house. That's his family. That's his relationships. And about all that he hath on every side. That's his possessions. That's his money, brothers and sisters. See, that's three separate hedges right there, brothers and sisters. Okay, continue. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. So what is he telling us? Job is... Being accused of dead works, brothers and sisters. Satan is saying that the motive for why Job serves you, Father, or God, is unclean. He's only doing it because you're blessing him. If you didn't bless him, what would happen? Read verse 11, brother. Job 1 and 11. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath. And he will curse thee to thy face. You see that? So now he's saying that this is a dead work. So he's saying, yeah, he's serving you. But if if one thing go wrong, he'll stop serving you. Which means that the, all the good works that he would doing would actually be considered dead works. Brothers and sisters, even though it was good, the motive is unclean. Because you're only doing it as long as you get what you want. See, so this is what Satan accused him of. Let's talk about dead works. Let's go to Isaiah 64 and 5. Because this is what he, this is what he 
accused Job of. Isaiah 64 and 5. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Read that again, brother. What kind of man does the Most High answer in prayer? Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Me meeteth him in prayer, brothers and sisters. That's where you meet him at. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. He that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. So he meets those who rejoice in doing righteousness, brothers and sisters. See? Those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned and those in continuance, and we shall be saved. Look at that. For us to have communion with God, we need to examine what God expects from us. Read that one more time, please, brother. What does God expect from us? Isaiah 64 and 5. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. He meets with those who rejoice and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, Thou art wroth, for we have sinned, in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. According to the text, communion is conditional. There's contingencies involved, brothers and sisters. He only meets with those who rejoice in doing righteousness. You see that, brothers and sisters? The Pharisees didn't rejoice in doing righteousness, brothers and sisters. They were doing it, but they were viewing it and using it in an oppressive fashion. See, when you actually love somebody, you want to do things for them, brothers and sisters, right? It's not a burden, right? It's not a burden to serve someone that you love. <laughs> Shouldn't be. If you love them. And that's what this scripture is telling you. I only meet with those not who do what's righteous, but who rejoice while they do it. Because it's not just the behavior, it's the attitude that's accompanied with the behavior, okay? See, and that's the point that we miss because that's the spirit of the law. <laughs> See, the babies just deal with the letter. Just understand, okay, don't eat this, eat that. Don't celebrate this, do this, do that. Okay, well, yeah, we get it. We get all that, okay? But there's another level of the law, which is the spirit of the law, which was what it was intended for. Why was it intended? Because it's a principle. And if it's a principle that makes it more broad brothers and sisters it makes it more broad it expands the law let us show let's go to Deuteronomy 28 brother take a look at this Deuteronomy the 28th chapter we're going to have brother Christopher read the 47th and the 48th verse Deuteronomy 28 and 47 because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee. As a punishment for not serving the Most High with joy, we were made to serve our enemies. Read 47 one more time, brother, because having an attitude of joylessness, ingratitude, this did what, brothers and sisters? This contributed to the curses upon our people. Let's take a look. Verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, 
Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee. Because you refuse to serve with joyfulness, you shall serve your enemies. In hunger, and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in want of all things. And? And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. A yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. You see that, brothers and sisters? Because we did not serve the Most High joyfully, we were made to serve our enemies as a punishment. So if the right attitude is not accompanied by the obedience, it proves insufficient, brothers and sisters. We're reading that here. The act of obedience was insufficient without the corresponding attitude, brothers and sisters. So it does matter the attitude in which you do it in. Not just that you did it, brothers and sisters. And see, this is that this is that next level. This is the next level, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Psalms 40 and 8. Because why? We wanted to show you what Satan was accusing him of. See? He wasn't serving in joy. He was serving <laughs> out of manipulation. And a lot of us, we try to do that. We try to do business with God. I tell young men all the time, don't do business with God, okay? Because God will never use you. If you're a person trying to do business with God, if you do this, God, then I'll do that and all that. The, let's guess what? The answer is no. Because God is looking for somebody who will do it without the contingency that you're trying to put on it. Let's take a look. Let's go to Psalms 40 and 8. Psalms 40 and 8. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yeah, thy law is within my heart. Brothers and sisters, note that when the law of God is written in our hearts, our duty will be our delight. Let's read that one more time. Verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Why? Yeah, thy law is within my heart. So here we see that the psalmist found joy in serving. Brothers and sisters. There's one part that I don't want to miss. Read that one more time, brother. Psalms 40 and 8. I delight to do thy will. I delight to do thy will. Oh my God. Yeah. Why do I delight to do thy will? Thy law is within my heart. Because what? Thy law is within my heart. So the contents of your heart determine what you enjoy doing according to the text. He said, I delight to do your will because of what's in my heart. You understand? So I could delight to do something else based on what is in my heart. So he's telling me the only way to delight doing his will is to have his law in your heart, brothers and sisters. Now, guess what? That is what? That's called the spirit of the law. <laughs> the, the letter is for the flesh. Okay, brothers and sisters? To have it in your heart. Remember, he said, I will give you a new heart. See? That's called the spirit of the law. You see that, brothers and sisters? According to the text, what makes you happy is determined by the contents of your heart. Let's go to Job, brother. Let's go back now. Let's go back to Job. One and eight. Job one and eight. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Look at this, brothers and sisters. As we learn in this text, what happens on earth is of great importance to the heavenly realm because this is taking place in the heavenly realm, but they're talking about the earthly realm. So they're in the heavenly realm actually talking about what's transpiring on earth, showing you that what transpires on earth is of great of of great importance in the heavenly realm, right? Continue. Verse 9. Focus specifically on Satan's accusations against Job, okay? Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for not? Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. And his substance is increased in the land. Satan explained Job's fear of God as a result of the three hedges that God had placed around him. Brothers and sisters. Three hedges encircled Job's person, his family, and his possessions. Brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 10. Job 1 and 10. Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house? His house. See? So his person, his family... And about all that he hath on every side. And his possessions. You see that, brothers and sisters? So, to get to Job, the enemy had to cause God to unmingle himself from Job. You see that, brothers and sisters? Because he's already telling you, there's three ways in which I can attack this man. But you put a, you put a block up in all three of those areas. Which is me to attack his person, his health, his mental health, his emotions, Right? For me to attack him through his family and friends, people who know him, and to attack his finances, to attack his possessions. These are the three, three areas, brothers and sisters, and Satan hasn't changed, and we're going to prove that today. Let's go to Matthew 10, brother. Right now, we're going to expose the enemy, because, brothers and sisters, when you're under demonic attack, you need to be able to identify it, Okay. When you can identify that you're under attack, it makes you stronger because you actually know you're going, you're, go, you're actually, this isn't normal what you're going through. This is actually a fight. It's when we believe that this becomes normal that now it becomes a mental health problem. Now suicide is involved because now you believe this is normal. You believe that this is what every day will be like. No, you're under attack right now. And you have to be able to identify that because why? We did a lesson on deliverance. Right. You need to first need you first in order to be delivered. You need to know what areas are being attacked, brothers and sisters. And we're here at Matthew, the 10th chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 35th through the 39th <clears throat> verse. Matthew 10 and 35. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. Now, brothers and sisters, I really want you to listen to this. Okay. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and against the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross, and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life shall 
And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Brothers and sisters, the threefold condition of discipleship will produce a hedge around each area that is surrendered to God. Do you understand that, brothers and sisters? Once you surrender, a hedge goes around that, okay? If you have not surrendered it, there is no protection around it. See, and this is how it works. Satan tried to accuse him of operating backwards, of saying, you know what? I'm thinking my obedience will be with what I have in mind for the end rather than the other way around, brothers and sisters. And that's what we're seeing here, because notice that the areas targeted by the enemy are the same ones that Christ says we must sacrifice. Read it again, because these areas that the Bible is telling you you must be willing to sacrifice are the same areas in which Satan targeted in Job, the first chapter. Okay? <laughs> Let's take a look. Let, let Christ break this down again for us. How he was warning us, brothers and sisters. He was warning us the areas that the enemy are going to look to come. Let's read that. Matthew 10 and 35. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and against the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So here it is. Now he's talking about those relationships, right? So. Verse 36. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. See? So the relationships, Satan going to use those. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Why is he saying this? Because Satan going to use those people that's not serving the Most High to come against you. To try to challenge you. To try to show that you're not who you say you are. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross. Oh, now we're talking, his, now we're talking him, his person now. So move from his relationship to his person, right? He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. You have to be willing to lose possessions. <laughs> okay? See that, brothers and sisters? So first he showed us what? Family, relationships, Satan will come there. And then he showed you your person. You got to take up that cross. Okay? You have to surrender your person. You have to surrender yourself. And what? You have to be willing to lose it. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He's saying you have to lose it in order to find it. Because why? Satan's going to come against you. And he's going to come against your finances. He's going to come against your possessions. He's going to come against you utilizing relationships. Okay? He's going to come against you. There's only three areas in which he can come. These are the areas, brothers and sisters. So that means what? You have to make sure these areas are surrendered because the only way to be protected is under surrendership. You understand that? And see, this is what I try to this is what I try to explain to our sisters. A man will protect you if you submit to him, sister, but a man is not looking to protect a woman who won't submit. That's just not gonna happen. We're made in God's image. Okay, so if you want this from, if you want certain things from the man, sister, you're going to have to submit. Okay? Because a man is not trying to be with another man. Okay? If he wanted that, he would have been somewhere else. So he wants something more feminine, something a little bit more submissive. And guess what? We are the bride of Christ. He's looking for something a little bit more submissive from all of us, including our men. 
And he's telling you, you have to be, in order to marry me, <laughs> you have to be willing to lose other relationships. You have to be willing to lose your life because you're going to dedicate it to me. You have to be willing to lose all of yours and make it ours now. See, that that's called marriage, brothers and sisters. Sacrifice. He's saying, in order to do this, Satan's going to try to turn you against me. And these are the errors he's coming. And he's going to have help. Brothers and sisters, these, this passage needs to be carefully examined because those three areas will be the potential points of contention. We're going to read it again. We'll, read, uh, we'll start at 36. Brother. Matthew 10 and 36. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's cold right there. See, Christ, he's not a, the most high or Christ, nor Christ are looking to be in competition with anyone. They don't do competition. Okay. They just gracefully bow out of the competition. If somebody is fighting for the throne of your heart, then you on the, you on the wrong path, my brother. You're on the wrong path, my sister. Continue, brother. Verse 38. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Mm. He that findeth his life shall lose it. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Did you notice that he's telling who's not worthy? You see that? See, so Christ wasn't this just looking to get numbers. <laughs> just take anybody for the sake of having some numbers. No, no. You need to be worthy of me. You see that? So right this whole time, he's breaking down who is not worthy or unworthy. If a person don't do this, they're unworthy. If a person loved this person more than me, they're unworthy. Because he, why? He understands that Satan is going to target these areas to make you succumb. Let's find out. Let's go to Hebrews, brother, 12 and 2. Let's go to Hebrews, New Testament. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, the author of Hebrews calls believers to consider the ultimate example of perseverance, which is Christ. Let's read that one more time. Verse 2. Looking unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. The what? Author and finisher of our faith. According to the text, Christ is the example for the entire range of experiences we will encounter on this walk, brothers and sisters. Okay? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, to be sealed at the right hand of someone is to be seated in a position of honor and authority. Brothers and sisters. And notice, there's every place in the Bible where it says that Christ sat down at the right hand of God, right? 
But when it talks about Stephen being stoned, it tells you that Christ was standing at the right hand of God. The only place in the Bible that you'll find Christ standing at the right hand of God, he was given a round of applause for sacrifice, for submission, for willing to suffer wrongfully, for willing to be persecuted wrongfully. Read that one more time, brother, please. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So why did we go here? Because the Bible says, look unto Christ, who's not only the author, but the finisher. He's not only the person who wrote it, but he finished it. You see that, brothers and sisters? So that means the whole experience, anything that you go through, you can find in Christ's journey, brothers and sisters. You can find that there. And guess what? We're going to do that. We're going to look to the author and finisher of our faith. Let's go there. Let's go to Mark 3 and 31, brothers and sisters, please. What can we learn from the Messiah? What can we learn from the Messiah in these passages? We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 31st through the 35th verses. Mark 3 and 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Brothers and sisters, rather than focusing on his biological family, Christ focused on the family of God. Are you seeing this? Scripture reinforces the idea that the family of God should rank higher than the natural family. This is Christ telling us this. See that? He's the author and finisher of our faith. Remember, the Bible told you that what? <laughs> Satan would look to attack you through relationships. Let's read it again. Let's read from, um, let's read 32, brother. Mark 3 and 32. The multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Mm. According to the Messiah, we're related by obedience. See? So God determined a person's status in your life based on their relationship with him. You see? <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be. Our status, the status between you and I is determined by your status between you and God. Because if you don't have status there, then we don't have status here. Because we really have nothing in common. I, I have to reprove the fruitful works of darkness. Okay? Not be amongst it. Not join it. So right away, the Bible is showing you what? <laughs> Christ is showing you. You have to change the way you think about 
relationships. You have to change the way you think about family. Okay? You have to do it. Let's read that last scripture again, brother. Verse 35. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Why is he saying this, brothers and sisters? Because he's the same Christ is the same brother that said a prophet is without honor in his own country. That he's respected everywhere except for in his own house. The people that know you, your family. Everyone else listens to you except for them. So, brothers and sisters, do you think that they believe, do you think Christ's brothers and sisters believe that he was the son of God? Through the spirit? No. And the Bible tell you they didn't believe that. So you know that they were antagonizing them. They're, they're siblings. <laughs> what do you think was going on, brothers and sisters? And the Bible tells you he never sinned. So that means he never lost his temper. He never did anything he shouldn't have done. So just imagine, brothers and sisters. Just imagine. He's saying, in order to do this, in order to live this life, my son. You're going to have to put things into its proper perspective, okay? You're going to have to know who your real family is. And I determine who that is. as God. Let's go to Isaiah 3 and 12, brother. Because we're going to show you. These are the areas that Satan will attack. Let's go to Isaiah, the third chapter and the 12th verse. Isaiah 3 and 12. Let's look at these examples, brothers and sisters. As for my people, children are their oppressors. Who? Children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Read that again, brother. As for my people, children are their oppressors. Who? Children are their oppressors. Here we read of the, the weaponization of children. Okay, not only by uh, single mothers, but by the government. By the schools. The schools that are re-educating our children. To teach them against what God said. See? Continue. As for my people, children are their oppressors. And women rule over them. To be oppressed by women and children would be a cultural sign that you were utterly powerless as a nation, brothers and sisters. And this is what the Bible said that Satan would use. Okay? It appears from the text that oppression is coming from within. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors. And women rule over them. And, and what? Women rule over them. This was seen as a curse, not a blessing. Okay, sisters? Okay? So I understand in this world where everything is feminized, where everything is, is you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a nice mattress for sisters to just, you know, to just fall on. Okay? Where, you know, there's a war on masculinity. The Bible tells you when women rule over men, it leads us off the path. Continue. Oh, my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy path. See that? He said, they which lead thee. Who's leading? The Bible tells you that the women are leading. 
The children are oppressing. See that, brothers and sisters? And this is what the Bible was telling you. These are the areas that Satan will look to come. Relationships. Right? Come through those relationships. These are the areas. Because why? If you don't put that relationship where it belongs, then it's under attack. It's only protected once you surrender. Do you understand? See? So anything not surrendered becomes under attack. Why? Because I'm not protecting anything you put before me. And that's how we work, brothers and sisters. So we, we make sure that, that everything is in the proper place on the board in order for it to be protected, in order for there to be a hedge. If it gets out of order, brothers and sisters, then you're gonna start to you you're gonna start to notice attacks. Because why? The Bible tells you that he was Satan roams the earth, okay? He's always looking for someone to devour. See? Let's go to Acts 5, brother. Let's go to the New Testament, Acts the 5th chapter. We're going to show you how Satan can use these relationships. And this is why Christ said you, you better be careful. Let's, go, let's read Acts the 5th chapter, the 1st through the 11th verse. Acts 5 and 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira and his wife sold a possession. Sold a piece of land. And kept back part of the price. And they kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it. His wife understood that they had kept back part of the price. What do they mean kept back part of the price? They sold some land, but they didn't give the entire amount of that resource to the church. Which they had said they were going to do. They weren't compelled. They weren't compelled. But what happens is they come and say they did give it. So it wasn't the fact that they didn't. It was the fact that they said they did. Continue. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what they sold it for, laid at the apostles' feet, what they were willing to give at least. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Peter addresses the husband, but he acknowledges the enemy in the room because he said, why have Satan filled thy heart to lie? Not to me, but to the Holy Ghost. When you lie to the church, you lie to the Holy Ghost. See that, brothers and sisters? Continue. Verse 4. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Mm, see that? Peter indicates that the two could have kept the they could have kept back a portion for themselves. It was theirs to do with as they pleased. Their lie about their stewardship of resources is interpreted by Peter as a lie to the Holy Spirit. See, it wasn't the fact that they didn't give it all. It was the fact that they said they did because they were trying to get brothers in the church to believe they were more dedicated than they really were. 
See, and when you study the Bible, the most hated sin of Christ was a hypocrite. See, so this was the first judgment of the New Testament, brothers and sisters, of the New Covenant. This is of the new church here. The first judgment of the new church was this hypocrisy. Because when you read a few chapters before, there was another brother that sold everything that he had and gave it to the church. And people respected that. They respected the discipline. They respected the 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 sacrifice because that's how people are people especially men they that's what they respect they respect sacrifice so they saw that and they said you know what we want that adulation we want people to think we're deep like that and that we were willing to sell our land and give everything like this brother so they lied and said they gave it all but they didn't and because of that read verse 5 and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all of them that heard these things. You see that, brothers and sisters? Ananias shows up first at the congregation with partial money for their sale. And here, once he's been confronted by Peter, and I want you to see that, brothers and sisters, he was confronted, okay, respectfully. But you can't allow known sin to just not be addressed. <laughs> Cannot do it because that'll spread. So Peter did what? Address the brother and what happened? Read verse 5 again, brother. Acts 5 and 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound up him up, and carried him out and buried him. And buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after. Three when, hours later. When his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. So she's uh, she's completely oblivious to what has transpired as it pertains to her husband. Verse 8. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, for so much. So you only sold the land for, for this amount? And she said what? And she said, yeah, for so much. Okay. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Peter gave Sapphira an opportunity to repent of the sin she was involved in. See that? She had a chance to confess the lie. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to, I need you to really examine this again. Because now we're learning something. What does God consider a lie? Let's go back up. Okay, because this is very, very important here. Okay, this is very, very important because it's about sacrifice to the Most High. Remember the first murder was based on a sacrifice that was not accepted, brothers and sisters. Okay? Let's go back here again. Go back to verse 1, brother. Acts 5 and 1. <clears throat> but a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain, pe and brought a certain part. 
and laid it at the apostles' feet. Listen. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath that why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Why what? Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Brothers and sisters, Ananias has not spoken a word yet. Notice this. The brother hasn't said a word. So why is the Bible saying he lied? How can he lie without speaking? You see that? Ah. So it tells you that the Bible doesn't just consider what you're saying a lie, but what you're doing. See? Because why? You claim that you was this person, but yet you're doing this. Lie. Filled your heart to lie. Hypocrite. Trying to put on an act. Trying to get people to think you're deeper than you really are. Putting on an act. You see that? And then he does what? Then he gives the wife an opportunity. Because remember in verse 2 it tells you she was privy to it. So why put that there? They wanted to make sure. The author wanted to. Luke wanted to make sure. Because Luke is the author of this record. He wanted to make sure that you knew that she had part in it. She knew exactly what transpired. And then he gave her an opportunity to repent because that's a merciful God. So that means she could have lived, brothers and sisters. Jump down to, um, jump to verse 7, brother. Acts 5 and 7. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, for so much. See, so here it was. He was giving her an opportunity. And see, when you choose not to repent, this is what happens. Verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? So the implication of the text is that she would have not died had she told the truth to Peter. That's why he asked her the question. If he was going to kill her, no matter what she said, or she was going to die, no, it wouldn't even have made sense. So he was giving her an opportunity to come clean. You allowed your husband, you, now you've made a, you know, a pact with your husband. You've allowed your husband to now get you killed. Because why? You didn't speak up, sister. See, and I'm hoping sisters are seeing this because, yes, you're supposed to be submissive to a point. Okay? I'm not going to go against God for you, <laughs> brother, husband. That I am, I'm not doing. I'll do everything, you know, that God is okay with. But going against God for you, that, that that's not going to happen. It's just not. So here, look at what we're seeing here, brothers and sisters. That a sister now have lost her life because she wasn't strong enough to stand up for what was right. And this happens a lot on the other side. Where the men are the ones knowing they're doing wrong. Knowing, just compromising to keep somebody happy. This is what we do. Continue, brother. Verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the front door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet. 
and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. So their deceit demonstrates that they're still functioning as members of the, 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 the Roman patronage system. So yes, they were part of the church, or they knew they were Jews or following the Sabbath, but they were still lying. They were still part of <laughs> working for the Roman government through this way, brothers and sisters. Luke included this event in his account of the early church because it contains significant lessons for us. Why would he put it there? There's a lot there, brothers and sisters. And we're showing you how Satan will use relationships to get you to sin. See? Let's go to Judges, brother, 6 and 24. The 6th chapter, the 24th verse, brothers and sisters. Judges 6 and 24. We'll read all the way down to the 27th, through the 27th. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Jehovah Shalom. Until this day it is yet offer of the Abizrites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, What did he say? Take thy father's young bullock. Take your father's young bullock. Even the second bullock of seven years old. And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. And so his father had an altar unto Baal. Or Jehovah, brothers and sisters. Throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. And cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place. And take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. Brothers and sisters, Gideon was confident in doing the task after confirming the voice of God. I want you to see this, okay, brothers and sisters? Look at what God is telling them to do. Jump back to 25, brother. Judges 6 and 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him. Unto him, unto who? Gideon. Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old. And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. So turn, tear down, and burn down his altars to his God. This is to his father's God now, okay? Verse 26. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place. And take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household. He, he did what? He feared his father's household, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. He preferred night instead of day in order to avoid direct confrontation with his family and the public, brothers and sisters. 
So Gideon realized that carrying out this assignment involved considerable danger. Brothers and sisters, the record says that he feared his father's household. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. See that, brothers and sisters? So Gideon receives a calling from the Most High to destroy his own father's altar. See, and this is what the Bible was telling you, that Satan will... Here it was, Gideon being a righteous man, but his father is a pagan. You see that? See, so now his father being a pagan is a prime candidate to be used by Satan to come against Gideon. Or to get Gideon to sin. And this is how it works, brothers and sisters. See, all the people around you not serving God, even though they love you, they're prime candidates, brothers and sisters. They're prime candidates. You really can't trust them too much because the Bible tells you they're going to turn you in thinking they're doing God's work. And that's the worst. That's the worst because that's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees actually thought they were doing the right thing, brothers and sisters. It's not like they knew they were wrong. And that's what's scary is that you can be t completely wrong thinking you're right. Especially our people. Our people can be wrong as can be and loud. We're showing you, brothers and sisters, this is the areas in which Christ had to put in the proper perspective and say, you must be willing to lose all three of these things because these are the areas that Satan is going to attack you. And if you succumb, then at that point, we know what you're made of. And what you, what you can be used for as it pertains to the Most High's work and what you cannot be used for. Let's go to Exodus 32 and 26 because we're showing you how he uses those relationships. Christ said you had to be willing to sacrifice these relationships in order to do his work. Exodus 32 and 26. We're going to read through 29, brothers and sisters. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and now, said, now this is after Aaron has built this golden calf. Okay. And Moses has come back down and saw this. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Who are Levi? Levi, brothers and sisters, would today be the Haitians, okay? So that would be the Haitians or the, the uh, priestly tribe. Verse 27. He said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp. And slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Now, brothers and sisters, upon hearing this challenge, only the tribe of Levi chooses the Lord's side, right? And then this is what happens. He tells them the what, brother? He said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother. And every man his companion, 
and every man his neighbor. You see this, brothers and sisters? Relationships again, every man his brother, every man his friend, every man his neighbor. See, these are relationships here. So the Bible is telling you there may come a time when you're going to have to choose me or them. And if you choose them over me, you're not worthy. Continue, brother. Verse 28. What's that say? And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. Brothers and sisters, the other 11 tribes refused to move. This is the group that was given the assignment of executing those who participated in the worship of the golden calf. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Continue. The children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Mm. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. See, so only the tribe of Levi responded to the call to take action in response to this situation which demanded judgment to be inflicted, brothers and sisters. They understood that neutrality could not exist in the open confrontation between good and evil. We're seeing it here, brothers and sisters. We must have no partiality to person, but lay aside all carnal affection, not sparing the nearest relation, brothers and sisters. Because why? If you have respective persons, you are not a leader and you cannot be trusted. You cannot be trusted. You have shown yourselves worthy to be as ministers by rising above personal considerations. You see? Read 29 again, brother, please. Verse 29. For Moses has said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. Do what? Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. See that? If you closely examine the text, the consecration came before the blessing. See, the dedication of yourself came before the blessing. If you're not willing to kill something in your life, you're not willing to be blessed, brothers and sisters. You have to kill something in order to be blessed. That's how it works. Once you slay a giant, you get stronger, brothers and sisters. Once you slay a giant, you take more territory, brothers and sisters, of the promised land. And when we went into the promised land, it's not as if we fought all the giants at one time. We would go years before we saw other giants. We may go months before we saw other giants. And that told us that what? You can only slay the giant that you see today. And guess what? Every giant that the Most High revealed to you in your heart, in your flesh, you are to slay. Brothers and sisters. Anything the Most High convict you of, anything the Most High reveal to you, your job is to slay it in order to be blessed, brothers and sisters. He didn't reveal it to you for you just to acknowledge it and not do anything about it, brothers and sisters. So we're showing you here, it came straight down, life or death. What are you going to do? Are you Are going to serve me or your family member, your mother, your father, your brother who was serving that golden calf, who were down with that, go run a knife through him right now. Go throw a javelin through him right now. It can come down to that, brothers and sisters. It may come down to that. 
This is what he's saying. You have to be willing to choose me. Let's go to Genesis 3, brother. Because we're showing you how Satan would use relationships. He would look to attack the relationship. He would look to get in through relationship. Genesis 3 and 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, here it is, brothers and sisters. Eve distorts the word of God by adding to it and taking away. Eve is adding to God's word because why? God said nothing about touching. Okay, let's prove that. Go, go to Genesis 2 and 16 and hear and actually what God did say. Genesis 2 and 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. See, so according to the text, Eve added the part that said not to touch it. That God gave no prohibition, okay? So in analyzing her response, there are at least three problems to note. First, observe that she omitted from God's command, right? She thus added to the harshness of it and then magnified the strictness of it. Let's take a look. Here we, we're, we're reading Eve's butchering of God's word. Let's go back to Genesis 3, okay, brothers and sisters, and listen to this again. Genesis 3 and 1. Excuse me, actually, uh, let's start at 2. Genesis 3 and 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, I need you to look at this, brothers and sisters, uh, because Eve changes the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil to the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You see that? So now she, she won't even acknowledge, she won't even say the name now. Eve was vulnerable to Satan's attack because she carelessly handled the word of God. See, Eve first subtracts from God's word by neglecting the Most High's blessing that we may eat of every tree. See, she didn't say that part. She didn't say that God said we can eat from every tree except for this one. She didn't even go there. She just went to the one he said, don't eat. You see that, brothers and sisters? So she tried to make it seem as if God was more harsh than he really was. And see, Satan was listening to how she was changing what God said, and he knew he had her. Because you're already carelessly utilizing the word of God. Read it one more time, brother. Verse 1. Genesis 3 and 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now think about this. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Who did he choose to come against? Man or woman? Man or woman? 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. So he was smart. And he chose to attack who? Let's read. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in See the midst. See that? We can eat of the trees of the garden. No, you can eat from every tree of the garden, except, see, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. See that? But Now that's key because the Most High never used this location to denote that tree, brothers and sisters. Let us say, what did he say was in the middle of the garden, brothers and sisters? Let's go back there. What did he actually say was in the midst of the garden, brothers and sisters? Let us find it here. Go to Genesis, the second chapter, brothers and sisters. Go to Genesis 2 and 8, brothers and sisters. Remember, she didn't even refer to the tree. She didn't even refer to the tree by its name. She referred to it by its location, which means she's paying a great deal of attention to this tree. Let's read it, brother. Genesis 2 and 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. We want to show you God never used that term in the midst of the garden to denote that tree alone. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. What was in the midst of the garden? The tree of life. Also in the midst of the garden. And? And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Both trees were in the midst of the garden. She only referred to one tree that was in the midst of the garden. Do you understand that, brothers and sisters? See? So right away, Satan knows he has her. Clearly, she's already begun to understate the most highest provision. Eve distorts the word of God by adding to it. And taking away. Let's see. Let's go to Deuteronomy 10 and 2. Because what does the Bible have to say about that? Deuteronomy 4 and 2. Salakia. Deuteronomy 4 and 2. That says. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you. Neither shall ye diminish out from it. That ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. The Bible clearly speaks about the dangers and the futility of adding to or subtracting from God's word, brothers and sisters. Here Moses charges us to preserve the divine law pure and in its entirety. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments that of what? the that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. God's laws must not suffer amendment or abridgment through human legislation, brothers and sisters. Who are you? You don't have the right to say what God said is binding is not. You don't have that right, Pastor. You don't have that right, Mother. You don't have that right, Father, to try to circumvent and change what God put in his word. 
our people, we're the only people who will try to use the Bible to say you don't have to follow the Bible. I've never heard, I mean, Christians are the only, are Christians. Something is wrong with Christians, brothers and sisters. They will use the Bible to say you don't have to follow what's in the Bible. It's a strong delusion, brothers and sisters. You can't add from it or take away. So that means the full Bible. You can't just say we're dealing with New Testament. You can't just say we're dealing with the epistles. You can't just say we're dealing with the Torah. You can't, we, Listen, the Bible says he comes in the volume of the book, brothers and sisters. You shall not add to it and you shall not diminish from it. We deal with the Bible as it is written. And the Bible says when you do that, from your belly comes rivers of living water. What's that represent? That represents the Holy Spirit. See? Let's go to Job, brother. Let's go back to Job 2 and 7 now. Because we're going to walk you through these attacks. First, we wanted to deal with the family, the relationships. Very important. Many times, many, many times, I know men, young men, who've gone against their God for, for women. Gone against their God and what they knew was right. No integrity. Many times we've done it. And Satan knows that. Let's see. Let's read uh, verse 7 through 10. Job 2 and 7. So when Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Uh-oh, so now he's attacking his person. So he's moved from the relationships, right? Because he's lost his child. Let us see, though. Verse 8. And he took him a pulse thread to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Brothers and sisters, the first two books of scripture, we find a man being tempted by his wife. You see that? Job, which is the first book, and then Genesis. You see that, brothers and sisters? So much like Eve, Job's wife prompts her husband to doubt God's goodness. Read that again, brother. Verse 9, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thy integrity? So at this point, she asks him a question, then she tells him what to do, irrespective of the cost. Listen, dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. Now, brothers and sisters, what did Satan say would happen? Go back to verse uh, chapter 1. Go back to, ver go back to chapter 1 and verse 11. Job 1 and 11. Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house? And read, about read verse 11, brother, please. Job 1 and 11. What's that say? But put forth thine hand now. And? And touch all that he has. What will he do, brother? And he will curse thee to thy face. See that? What did his wife tell him to do? Curse God and die. So she tried to get him to do the very thing that Satan <laughs> tried to get him to do. He tried to get him to do the very thing that God said he wouldn't. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? The very thing that God said he would not do, 
Satan tried to get the woman to get him to do. Let's go back to Job now. Two and seven. Go back there. Excuse me. What's that? Two and nine. Read that, brother. Please. Job two and nine. These are the only recorded words of Job's wife in the entire story. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Listen to his response, brothers and sisters. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. According to this passage, Job was willing to rebuke his wife. Tell her she was wrong, according to God. In response to his wife's bitter outlook, Job first rebukes her, brothers and sisters, which Adam did not do. Do you see? So one man accomplished it. The other man did not. One man learned from his mistakes. Read that again, brother. Verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Read 9 one more time, brother, because these are tough words to appear to reflect a, a, a heart bitter and angry towards God. Listen to her again. Job 2 and 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Bitterness. Now remember, this is a woman who has lost 10 children. Brothers and sisters, at this point, she's lost 10 kids. The bitterness has set in. She's now watched her husband sick, <laughs> boils, lost his business, lost his house, lost his cattle. She's watched all this. Right? Read verse 10, brother, again. Verse because, 10. Because Job's response is fascinating. He carefully listens and watches his beloved husband, excuse me, beloved wife, shrink under the weight of their shared hardship. See, because she can't carry that weight. He can. See that? She crumbles. He doesn't. He's supposed to carry that weight. See that, brothers and sisters? Read that, brother. Job 2 and 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish See, women. See, he didn't say she was a fool. He said you're speaking like a, you're not you're not yourself, babe. You're not yourself. You speak as one of those foolish. Now, why do you say you speak as one of the foolish? Because the Bible says a fool in his heart say there's no God. See? You see how that links, brothers and sisters? It was that very thing. So, we're showing you why Christ said you have, if you love mother or father or husband or wife, or daughter, or son, more than me, you're unworthy, because this is what Satan will do. And God is unwilling to look anyone else face to face. You're not on his level. You shouldn't be, nothing, nothing and no one should be on God's level to be able to look him eye to eye like that. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother, uh, 4 and 2. Let's go to the Apographer. Go to the Apographer, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus, the fourth chapter. We'll have Brother Christopher read the 22nd verse. Ecclesiasticus 4 and 22. Accept no person against thy soul, 
and let not the reverence of any man cause thee to fall. Among the most important factors contributing to our willingness to sin is our our admiration for others, brothers and sisters. We need to be willing to give up associations that hinder our walk with Christ, period. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 22, accept no person against thy soul. Against thy what? Against thy soul. Against thy soul, brothers and sisters. What is it for a man to gain the world and lose his soul? The soul is the thing that you lose. It's not the spirit. The spirit goes back to the father. The soul that feels the pain. Brothers and sisters. Okay. So he said, accept no person against thy soul, which is telling you there are people against thy soul. Brothers and sisters. As revealed by the author, we are influenced for better or for by worse by those whom we associate with. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 22. Accept no person against thy soul and let not the reverence of any man cause thee to fall. Let not the reverence of any man, that's male or female, because a lot of times it's the female reverence that we have. That cause us to sin. Sisters also. Vice versa. So it's important that we surrender those associations. That hinder our walk with Christ. You see that brothers and sisters. And they always knew this. They they knew. The, the clothing stores brothers and sisters. They understand exactly who to hire. Okay. Especially if, if it's a, a urban store. Okay. With young men in it. They they hire a certain type of woman to work in those stores, okay? Because they know the power of a woman's presence is influence. So her being there alone already makes you want to feel like you need to spend more money because you're trying to show off. See, Satan knows this. He knows exactly what to use on both sides. Brothers and sisters, the... He was subtle. He was the most subtle. And he went to her. So guess what? This is where you get game from. When girls are saying, you know, he just trying to, he talking game. He trying to get in my pants. See, this is where it came from. Her listening. You have to be careful who you're listening to, sister. Okay. Because the first thing God said was, who told you you were naked? Who you been talking to? You've been talking to somebody. It's clear you've been talking to somebody. See? So you have to be careful of even listening. Of even listening. Because all of this started with listening, brothers and sisters. Just listening. Just conversation. And brothers know what I mean. <laughs> It always starts as conversation. It's game. Eas girls are easily easier to be deceived. And he knew that. That's why he went to Eve. <laughs> See? And, and Adam didn't have the courage to say, you ain't supposed to be doing that. God said no. Why? Because he, he didn't want to lose that relationship. Now he got a partner. He didn't want to lose that partner. And then what does he do? Then he blames God. The woman you gave me, God. So really, I mean, you gave her to me. 
So God gave him a chance to repent and he refused. Let's go back to Job 1 and 8. We're going to read 8, 9, and 10. Job 1 and 8. What's that say, brother? The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? Does Job fear God for nothing? Has not thou made an hedge about him? A hedge about him. That's his person. And about his house. His house, right? That's his family, his relationships. And about all that he hath on every side. See that? So his house, where do you live at, brothers and sisters? You live in a house, right? So it's talking about his life, okay? So uh, using relationships, things in his life start going wrong, right? Business. And then it says, everything he hath is talking about his substance. It's talking about his possessions. Continue. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. So now we need to deal with that. Let's deal with the possessions now. Okay? His resources, because Satan will come there also. There's only three angles he's going to come from, brothers and sisters. And those areas must be submitted. Those areas must be surrendered in order to gain the protection of God. God doesn't protect anything you put before him, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You're going to have to fight that battle on your own, sister. You're going to have to fight that battle on your own, brother. God doesn't protect things from Satan that you put before him. Let's go to Luke 16, brother, because Christ was breaking this down the whole time. The whole time he was telling us exactly what Satan was going to use against us. Luke 16 and 10. Because why? It said that he would touch his resources, all that he hath, his substance, right? He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? According to Christ, those who have been unfaithful with money will not attain spiritual true riches or true spiritual riches. So that tells us what, brothers and sisters? How you handle money determines really your salvation. It's clear because he's saying true riches. So, so hold on. So you're telling me the true riches of salvation are tied to how I use my money? Read it again, brother, because the Bible says, honor the most high with thy substance. If you can honor him with your substance, you can also dishonor him with thy substance, right? Let's read that again, brother. Luke 16 and 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. That means the way you do anything is the way you do everything, brothers and sisters. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in money. He's saying, if you're not even faithful with the little bit of money that I gave you. Verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust? <clears throat> excuse me. Who will commit to you 
your trust, the true riches. Look at that, brothers and sisters. See, the reason for the spiritual poverty of many brothers and sisters is their unfaithfulness in the use of money. You see that? It's of great importance how you view money. Christ states that God will not give the true spiritual riches to those who are unfaithful to their money or with their money, brothers and sisters. To be righteous with money is the first step. That means to clear our debt, to pay your bills on time. And then the next step is to be faithful, which means avoid all unnecessary expenditure. Brothers and sisters, you see that? Until a man has been tested with money, he can never be used by God. Ever. And we're going to prove that. Let's go to Luke 8, brother. Just a few chapters uh, previous. Let's read uh, Luke 8 and 1 through 3. We want to show you. We want to show you how Christ operated with money. Okay. Luke 8 and 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And who were with him? The twelve were with him. And certain women. And who? Certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene. Out of whom went seven devils. Seven devils came out of Mary Magdalene. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Stuart, and Susanna, and many others. And what? And Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. They did what? Ministered unto him of their substance. They served him with their substance. So through their financial support, women showed their support. You see that? Brothers and sisters. So included among this large group of followers who accompanied Christ on this tour were many women. And this is how they supported Christ. So Christ had money. See, and this is why he needed a treasurer. This is why he needed Judas, because he had a lot of money. Luke wants us to know that these women were not mere takers. They were actually contributors, brothers and sisters. It said they served him through their substance. Why? Because he couldn't set them up to teach. So the way they could serve was through the substance. You see that, brothers and sisters? See? So that means you can serve through substance. You can minister through substance. You see that, brothers and sisters? Because minister means to serve. So it's telling you that they serve through substance. You see that, brothers and sisters? The humble nature of Christ is clearly seen in his willingness to be dependent on others. Because he didn't have to do this. Remember, he told Peter, go open the fish's mouth and pull the coin out of there and give that to uh, Caesar. So for Christ to be, you know, who he is <laughs> and have that kind of power and then to be dependent on others. See, we're showing you how he, this is how he operated. This is how he moved, brothers and sisters. There were finances. Now we need to show you how he, what was his outlook on these finances because their finances were there brothers and sisters to do the work does cost okay 
Let us see. Let's go to John 13 and 29 because now we need to see his outlook on money, on these material things that Satan will look to come against us and take. John 13 and 29, brothers and sisters. John 13 and 29. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag. Judas was the treasurer. He had the bag. Judas had the bag that Christ had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Now look at this. We know that Christ had money because it just told us that these sisters were ministering through their substance. Judas had the money. According to the text, Christ appointed a treasurer, Judas, to keep the money that they received. That's why it says he had the bag. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 29. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag. Because he had the bag, because he was a treasurer. That Christ had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So he was directing Judas to spend the money as Christ had always spent his money. See, so that's why they said they thought he was saying to, you know, get stuff ready for us to feast. Or just give money to the poor. So he's he's showing us what? He's directing Judas to spend money as Christ had always spent his money. Number one, buy what's needed. And number two, give to the poor. You see that? So this is how Christ viewed money. My money is to buy what I need to survive, do the work of God, and to be philanthropic for the poor. This is how he viewed finances. See that? His finances were surrendered. Brothers and sisters. See? So Satan couldn't come this way. Because why? Christ knew that the brother was stealing. <laughs> See? That's called surrendered. Where we from, people get killed over $25. People get killed over $100. Money. Christ knew the brother was stealing. He knew he was going to steal before he stole. And put him there. See, and then operated around the brother that whole time while he knew the brother was stealing. All up in his presence, stealing. So Christ was showing us, brothers and sisters, Christ knew that Judas was a thief of money and did not disturb him. So the text reveals the Messiah's detached attitude towards material things. Christ was aware of Judas' betrayal before it happened, brothers and sisters. See, Christ is the author and finishers of our faith. We were to look to him, so we are. These are the areas in which Satan looked to attack, to stimulate you into sin. Because once you go into sin, you your protection is gone. And now it's open game on your behind. Let's go to Proverbs 19, brother, please. Proverbs, the 19th chapter and the 11th verse. Proverbs 19 and 11. What's that saying, brother? The discretion of a man defeareth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. The king's wrath read, is... Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 11. 
The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Discretion is the ability to know the right action for any occasion. Brothers and sisters, okay? Deferring is putting off, uh, delaying, or postponing something, okay? The discretion of a man defereth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. It is his glory to what? It is his glory to pass over a transgression. So godly discretion chooses to delay and postpone getting angry when someone offends you. Brothers and sisters, it tells you a wise man will observe these two rules about his anger. What are they? Read that one more time, brother. Proverbs 19 and 11. The discretion of a man defereth his he anger. He defers his anger. So even if something transpires in that moment, his anger is under control. It's tamed. In fact... And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. To overlook. It's his pleasure to overlook it. To say, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. You see that, brothers and sisters? Wisdom induces a man to suppress resentment and to keep a strict guard on himself under provocative, uh, you know, under provocations. So remember, Christ knew that Judas was a thief. And he still was able to defer his anger. See? That means you need to be able to be amongst brothers and sisters who you know are enemies. <laughs> or may not like you. And you still need to be able to operate and treat them like a brother. Even though they don't like you. See? We're playing chess here, brothers and sisters. Christ was playing chess. Go to Exodus 2 and 11, brothers and sisters, please. We'll have Brother Christopher read the 11th and the 12th verse. Exodus 2 and 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. According to the text, Moses' uncontrolled anger led him to murder a person. Brothers and sisters, can you read that again, verse 11? Verse 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew. Look at this. He did what? He spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew. So Moses was undoubtedly right about the mistreatment of the slave. Okay. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Brothers and sisters, Moses' response revealed how unprepared he was for the task ahead okay because the most high never put you in that type of position <laughs> he's not even working you think the most high told you to go kill some go kill a, a slave owner there are multiple examples in the old testament showing moses's issue with uncontrolled anger brothers and sisters okay we're going to look at that 
Let's go to Exodus 11 and 8, brother. Because why? We learn deference through Christ. Exodus 11 and 8. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. Now, look at this, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 8. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all that the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. Brothers and sisters, even though the Most High told him that Pharaoh would not listen to him in Exodus the third chapter, he was very angry after he didn't listen. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 8. All these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. So Moses had an anger problem all of his life. And it delayed him from his assignment. And he died in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters. In great anger. In great anger. In great anger. It talks a lot about the anger of this man. Brothers and sisters. Let's go to Exodus 32 and 19. To show you how this going unchecked, how it led to his not getting into the promised land. Uh, 32 and 19, brothers and sisters. Exodus 32 and 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands, and break them beneath the mouth. You see this? In the story of the golden calf, the narrator reported that Moses was very angry. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So even though he's right, what he saw was wrong. Read. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mouth. In a rage, Moses takes the two stone tablets that contain the law and throws them down, brothers and sisters. They shatter. You see that? Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Jump to verse 34 and 1, brother. Uh, chapter 34 and 1. Same book, Exodus. Exodus 34 and 1. The Lord said unto Moses, Who thee, how thee two tables of stone like unto the first? Because why? Now that he's broken the stones, the two tables of stone, what has to happen? Read that again. The Lord said unto Moses, how the two tables of stone chisel like unto the first. Listen, hew or chisel two tables of stone like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. With who brokest? 
which thou breakest. So he wanted to make it clear that we're having to do this again because of your anger is out of control, Moses. You see that, brothers and sisters? He's like, all right, and we're going to do this again because of what you did. You broke it. See? So we're showing you that anger, brothers and sisters, and now how it's followed him from all the way as a young man when he killed an Egyptian all the way to Numbers, the 20th chapter. And we're going there. Let's go to Numbers 20 and 5, brother. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the fifth chapter, uh, excuse me, the fifth verse through the twelfth. Numbers 20 and 5. And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? Here our people are complaining to Moses. It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to There's drink. There is not even water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces. See, that's private matter. To fall on your face and worship, that's a private matter, brothers and sisters, okay? And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother. And speak ye into the rock before their eyes. Do what? Speak ye into the rock before their eyes. Moses was instructed to speak or tell the rock to yield water. And they shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded it. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Must we fetch ye water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not. Because ye believe me not. To sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Look at this. In Numbers the 20th chapter, Moses lost his temper and struck the rock twice. The Most High said, speak to the rock, not strike it. Brothers and sisters, there are serious consequences to submitting to anger and letting it take over. What were the consequences? Read it again, brother, please. Verse 12. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You're not going in, Moses and Aaron. See, you're not going in. So look at that, brothers and sisters. The anger carried on even here. And it cost him getting into the promised land. Because it was left unresolved. It was left unchecked, brothers and sisters. Go to James. Go to James, the first chapter, the 20th verse, as we're dealing with this. 
Because we're supposed to be looking to the author and finisher of our faith, right? What's that say, brother? James 1 and 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. See that? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So when he broke those tab tablets, when he killed that Egyptian, when he struck that rock, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You see that? So God can't allow you. I tell young brothers this all the time. Young pastors and different stuff. Don't pat, don't, don't preach. If you're a preacher, don't preach when you're angry. Okay. In fact, don't even speak. It's something the most I talk, you know, over the years I've learned. Don't even speak. When you're angry, don't even speak, brother. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Because the Bible tells you, listen, it's not a sin to be angry, but it's most likely that you're going to sin when you're angry. And that's unacceptable. Be angry and sin not, brothers and sisters. We're showing you that the wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. So a man in his anger can never fulfill God's purpose, ever. Let's go to Acts 19. Let's show something here, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Acts, the 19th chapter. We're going to read the 11th verse. We're going to we're going to read all the way down to this the the 17th verse. Acts 19 and 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, brothers and sisters, we want to show you what it looks like when you don't have protection. Because remember, the Bible told you that Job 1 and 8 said there were hedges around. There was protection around. We're going to show you when there is no protection around, okay? Verse 12. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits ran out of them. It's telling you that Paul did many miracles. It was really God doing the miracles through Paul's hands. That people were being, they were being healed just by touching his handkerchief, brothers and sisters. I mean, one brother was healed through his shadow, brothers and sisters. So Paul was doing a lot of work, right? Verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Christ, saying, we adjure you by Christ whom Paul preaches. Brothers and sisters, this text reveals the, the element of dark arts that has always existed in our community because exorcism is of the devil, okay? Christ never did an exorcism. Christ cast out demons, and exorcism is an agreement, brothers and sisters. So when you watch those movies, it, they always wanted to know the name of the demon so they can go get a higher-ranking demon. So what they do is they get a higher-ranking demon to put that demon that's in this person in subjection and then cast it out. Now, once it casts it out, that person seems like they're good for a little while. But the problem is now the stronger demon 
that had cast out the weaker demon, it now takes over. See that? So that's why they look like they get better for a little while and then they get worse. Brothers and sisters, exorcisms are not of God. This was not an agreement between Christ and spirit. That was authority that you were seeing. He was casting out demons and spirits. Let's read that again. Acts 19 and 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Christ, saying, We adjure you by Christ whom Paul preached. And there were seven sons of one Sceva. So they said, listen, we're trying to cast these demons out by Christ's name, who Paul preaches. There were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests. And what? And chief of the priests. Chief priest suggests a level of involvement in the dark arts. He was the chief priest and he was dealing with exorcisms. Verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Christ I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see that? This would look like when you have no protection. According to the author, Paul's reputation was growing as one who had authority over demons. How do we know? Read that again, brother. Verse 15. Acts 19 and 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Christ I know, and Paul I know. So look at this, brothers and sisters. It's clear that Paul's reputation captured the attention of the spirit world in Ephesus because the demon is here saying, I know who Paul is. I've heard of his work. See? Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So they're like, we don't recognize you or your authority at all. Paul, we know. Christ, we definitely know. You, we don't know. So it's showing you what happens when you don't have protection. You see that, brothers and sisters? There was no protection. That's what it looks like when there's no hedge. See? Let's go to Psalms 89, brother. Psalms 89 and 39. Because why? The title of today's lesson is The Sifting of Satan. We're showing you in the areas in which Satan will look to subdue you, brothers and sisters. Psalms 89 and 39. We're going to read 39 through 44. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Brothers and sisters, immediately the psalmist teaches us that the only covenant is through service. Read that one more time, brother. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. The covenant of thy what? Covenant of thy servant. Examine the text closely because this is the only kingdom where the servants wear the crowns. <laughs> You see that, brothers and sisters? It's completely different. That's why they don't get it. Christ said, listen, if my kingdom was of this world, they would fight. I could call legions down. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand Christ. Look at this. Read that again, brother, please. 
Verse 39. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. See that? He's telling you, you only have a crown because you're my servant. You see that? You serve me, you get a crown as king. See that? You get yourself in subjection, I'll put everyone else in subjection to you. You subjugate yourself first. See that? He said, you make void the covenant with thy servant, the one whom you gave the crown. So it's telling you that the only those who serve or considered servants were able to wear the crown, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 40. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. All that passed by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries. Thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. Thou hast also turned the edge of his sword and has not made him to stand in the battle. Thou hast made his glory to seize and cast his throne down to the ground. Brothers and sisters, we're reading the consequences of felonious conduct. But to quite, be quite frank, refusal to capitulate has consequences. And we are reading them, brothers and sisters. Okay? Let's go to Psalm 71 and 10, brother. Just a few chapters. Previous. Psalms, the 71st chapter in the 10th verse. Because these are the areas in which Satan are going to look to attack you, brothers and sisters. So what do we have to do? According to Christ, you have to be willing to sacrifice those areas of your life in order to pay the, in order to pay the, in order to pay the ransom to be protected, brothers and sisters. The only payment Christ accepts is submission. Okay? That's the only payment you can give him. Let's read it. Verse 10 and 11, brother, please. Psalm 71 and 10. For my enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together. Because why? We're going into scriptures to show you what it looks like when you don't have that protection, brothers and sisters. Read that again. For my enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together. Brothers and sisters, our enemies have always salivated for an opportunity to exploit us. That's why it says they did what, brother? For my enemies speak against me. Not only do they speak against us. They that lay wait for my soul they, take counsel. They lay in wait. In what? They that lay wait for my soul take counsel they together. Did, they do what, brother? They, they wait for my soul take counsel together. That's a conspiracy. Okay, that's what if you look up conspiracy means two or more people have come together with a plan. Okay, to conspire against when it says counsel together, that mind will say conspire together. Okay, brothers and sisters, read verse 11 saying, God hath forsaken him, persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. See that. They had the knowledge that with our God, they can't subdue us. Listen to what they said. Read verse 11 again, brother. Psalm 71 and 11. Saying, 
God hath forsaken him. And since God hath forsaken him, persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. See that? They ain't crazy. They know who to mess with and who not. They know when to mess with us and when not. Read 10 one more time, brother, because it has always been a desire of theirs to take advantage of us. Psalm 71 and 10. For mine enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together. See, so together they discuss the best ways to achieve our destruction. Verse 11. Saying, God hath forsaken him, persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. See that? This magnifies the malice of our enemies. See? So they understood they had to get God unmingled from us first, saying God had forsaken him. Now that God had forsaken him, persecute him. See? So now they would understand, okay, as long, we can only get to the persecution part until we get the God to forsake them. So how do we get their God to forsake them? I got it. Get them Christian pastors to teach them that the law is done away with. You don't have to follow any laws. That way we can persecute them and take them. And there's no one to deliver them because God's not going to deliver a person who's unwilling to submit. Brothers and sisters, we encourage you to go learn about our uh, the principles of deliverance. We have a lesson that the Most High uh, put together called the principles of deliverance. Where you learn about the principles that need to be applied in order to get God to deliver you. God is a God of principles. And guess what? Those principles are ubiquitous. Okay, brothers and sisters, that's why it's called a principle because it's universal. You can take this principle to China and it works. You can take this principle to Jamaica and it works. You can take this principle to Haiti and it works. It's ubiquitous, brothers and sisters. It's universal, yep, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Psalms 119 and 66, brother. We're going to have Brother Christopher read verse 66 and 67. Psalms 119 and 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. According to the psalmist, good judgment must be learned. How do we know? Read that one more time, brother, please. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. See, teach me good judgment and knowledge, which means the only way for me to learn it is for it to be taught. You see? Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Continue, brother. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Look at that. So he works his way backwards. He said, I got, I was afflicted, but I know why. But now have I kept thy word. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. And see, this is very important. Because a lot of times we don't put two and two together. We see that we're being afflicted, but are not tying it together with doing the wrong thing, according to God. You see that? So this was key, because if he didn't know that he was afflicted because he went astray, then the whole affliction was for no purpose. You see? Read that again, brother. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. See? I went afflicted. I got afflicted because I went astray. But... But now I have kept thy word. See, jump to verse 71, brother. 
Psalms 119 and 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. The Most High makes use of afflictions as a means to to draw attention to himself, brothers and sisters. And what we're seeing is hardships appropriately utilized should produce a salutary effect upon us. And that's what we're seeing. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. See, jump to verse 75, brother. Psalms 119 and 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. See, so God's love cannot be separated from his justice and righteousness, brothers and sisters. Correction is how he removes impediments to our spiritual development. When he sees that, he convicts us. He sheds light on it, he convicts us, and we're supposed to exterminate it, brothers and sisters. What did the text say? Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. See that in faithfulness, that affliction, that means you deserve that affliction. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells you a curse undeserved does not exist. Every curse that exists is well-deserved. That's in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, let's go to Isaiah 5 and 4. We have one scripture left. We're going to close out after this. Isaiah, the fifth chapter, the fourth verse. We're going to have Brother Christopher read 4 through 7. Isaiah 5 and 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in you? Wherefore, when I have looked that it should bring forth grapes... Brothers, brothers and sisters, the owner of this vineyard is the Most High God, and the vineyard is Israel. Can you read that again? Verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard? What could have been done more to my vineyard? That I have not done in it. So the text implies that the fault lies with man, not God. Wherefore? When I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. When I looked for fruit, right? Continue. Verse 5. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Brothers and sisters, this speaks of the Most High's protection being removed as a result of our disobedience. Do you see that? Read that again, brother, please. Verse 5. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Read. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor did, but there shall come up briars and thorns. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Here we read God's judgment on unproductive, on the unproductive vineyard. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 6. Isaiah 5 and 6. And I will lay it waste. It shall, be not, it shall not be pruned, nor did, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Mm. 
For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Brothers and sisters, rain was considered a blessing when you're growing crops. You understand. So he's saying, I've commanded that you will not be blessed. <laughs> okay. You're not going to grow. Those seeds are not going to grow because I'm going to make sure it doesn't rain for you. See? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression. For righteousness, but behold a cry. The parable speaks of all the effort that would go into making a vineyard. Brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Let's go to Job 13 and 15, brother. Let's go to Job 13 and 15, and then we'll close it out at Lamentations 3 and 17, actually. Let's go to Job 13 and 15. Job 13 and 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. Of note here is the fact that Job realizes that Ultimately, the suffering he endures is allowed by God. You see that, brothers and sisters? He understands that. We're going to end it at Lamentations 3 and 17. Uh, we're going to have Brother Christopher read 17 through 20, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Lamentations 3 and 17. Lamentations 3 and 17. What's that saying, brother? Thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, the soul is the area in which we experience peace. How do we know? Read 17 again, brother. Verse 17. Thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. See, so it's the soul that experiences peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said. I did what? I forgot prosperity. Continue. And I said. My strength and my hope is perished from thee. Mm, when a person has been truly broken, their strength to be self-willed diminishes greatly. And that's what he's looking for. Continue. Verse 19. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. Remembering the bitterness. Remembering what it felt like getting broke down by the Most High. Verse 20. My soul hath them still in remembrance and, and is humbled in me. See that? He said, my soul still remembers when the Most High was breaking me down. And my soul is still humbled in me. So our humiliation and emotion, emotional crushing stimulates consistent obedience. Brothers and sisters, the memories of our broken estate serves to be a great motivator. That's what the text says. My soul had them still in remembrance, and that has humbled me. You see, brothers and sisters? But it only humbles you if you know that it's being done, <laughs> why it's being done. 
if you think that this is just your life just goes this way because you're black. No, no. Your life goes this way because you're disobedient. <laughs> okay? The Bible tells you, my laws are not hard, okay? They're not burdensome. They're quite easy. They're only hard for people who don't want to do the right thing, okay? So we wanted to go into the Bible. Why? Because we're coming into a time of spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. We're coming to a time of mental health, brothers and sisters. We're coming to a time of attack, of, of specters and chittums, which are demonic possession, brothers and sisters. There are three areas in which the enemy will look to come against you. The only way to hold off the enemy is to what? Surrender those areas to the Messiah and allow him to put a hedge of protection around those areas of your life, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Sifting of Satan. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.